You're listening to Raising Anchor, a Rhode Island FC podcast. We're glad you're here. Hello and welcome to Raising Anchor, your podcast and source for all things Rhode Island FC. I'm your host, Matt Entrican, coming to you on Thursday, January 25th. We've got a huge episode ahead as we unpack all of the recent news, including the club's first ever media day with exclusive player interviews here on the pod, as well as open practice impressions. We'll share what we saw and how that might influence the formation and style of play for the club. And we have even more player signings to talk about, bringing the total roster to 19. Plus, we have potential names of the first ever derby in club history. Joining me is the one and only co-host with the most, Jason Carey. Jason, how is it going, my friend? Not too bad, buddy. Um, enjoying some fool's spring today, you know, before the second winter returns, and then inevitably the third winter. You know, it's a brief respite while I, you know, try and forget the fact that this bridge is never going to get fixed, and I just <laughs> maybe I'm just going to have to move somewhere else in the state. <laughs> well, well, that that bridge is never going to get fixed because at this point, it sounds like they're going to demolish that bridge and uh, and replace it with something new, or maybe maybe not never replace it, and we'll never see that happen in, in our lifetimes. Yeah, and I found turned out that uh, boats are kind of expensive, so that's not going to work out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's really interesting. I saw an interview with uh, Governor McKee, and uh, they were just hounding him about responsibility and accountability for for the the bridge itself. And all he kept saying was, "Oh, it's just an inconvenience. It's it's just ten fifteen minutes on really bad times." But like, I just kind of thought, like, what if we asked Brett Louis or Brett Johnson or Coach Cano a an accountable question? They couldn't just say, "Oh, well, it's." it's the fans fault for you know this or it's the players fault for like it, it was such a weird way to go about it but I did start thinking not just about your situation as soon as that was announced but then I, I realized and I've said it a couple times now but it's like oh man we're gonna have to plan even more appropriately when it comes to game days because this problem will not fix itself you know around the home opener so that's uh that's gonna be a tough thing did you also say second winter a second ago have you seen that post on reddit that goes around where they talk about the Rhode Island seasons yeah, the spring of deception is coming up too, right? Yeah, my favorite is the uh, pollination season when the when the bees decide and the flowers all decide it's time to uh, just cover your car in, in flower dust. That That's my favorite. Yeah, luckily for me, I don't have any allergies. So. <laughs> I was just more worried about having to clean the car off. Yeah, I mean, with all the salt around there too, it's just like you're just constantly cleaning your car. <laughs> so speaking of, you know, when we were talking about the games a second ago, I do want to start things off. We, we have a lot to to get through today. So I do want to start off with the final times have been announced for all of the games. So we've moved from a schedule full of TBDs to every game now having its appropriate time listed. It was very fascinating to watch how the games seem to be spread between typically the 7 to 8 o'clock corridor of of most of the games. And there's a couple of 4 p.m. Uh, time slots slotted in, including the home opener, which will be on March 16th uh, at 4 p.m. By the way, I didn't realize that's the day before St. Patrick's Day. So I wonder if there will be some sort of connection to that. I mean, you don't want to make a theme about something on your home opener. You want to make sure it's ex- exclusive to yourself. But I'll be curious if that has any play to the to the game, to the team, to the fans. You know, you don't know how they're going to show up for that. But I did have some very, very interesting 
kind of lineups that we had kind of thought that the club would take differently when it came to schedules, especially around the five or six games that we know will be in direct competition with the New England Revolution up the street in Foxborough. I was I was really shocked to see that those games will all line up basically within 30 minutes of each other when it comes time for kickoffs for both respective groups. There's been a lot of talk online for fans that are trying to split their time between each of the clubs, right? They want to love the Revs. They want to love Rhode Island FC. There was a lot of hope that maybe on those days you could have these like action-packed weekends of soccer where you go to whichever one was first and then you know you go to the second. With, with New England Revolution announcing their timelines uh, many weeks ago, it kind of seemed like that was Rhode Island FC's choice to a certain extent. I'm sure a lot of this is controlled by the league, but it seemed like it was in it was in Rhode Island FC's you know kind of lane to decide how they wanted to show up to this, and they're going to be you know competing in the exact same times that these clubs are going to be playing as well, and that's for a majority of the USL as well. So that's why I think it's an elevated kind of decision where the, the league is competing in the exact same swim lane as MLS. So. For those of you thinking when they saw, you know, like the messy lineup versus us playing uh, Phoenix Rising, oh, I'll, I'll skirt to, I'll, I'll skirt to the Phoenix Rising game first, and then I'll shoot up the, you know, up the way to go watch Messi. That's not happening now. Now, now, if you're dedicated to Rhode Island FC, that's that's your choice. So it's it's just very interesting to see how that's shaking out. Yeah, I'll be curious to see how this pans out. Um, I imagine the league as well as RAFC will probably take stock throughout the year to see what engagement is like in in that terms to see if you have issues where people are splitting loyalties and kind of you know they're challenging them to say hey like i know that other teams in the area and maybe at some point you supported them but either now you got to stand with us i don't know maybe like do you think at some like in the following year um in maybe a market like ours where there is another team fairly close that they might try and change some of those times it's tough to say i mean it it really comes down to what's the more agreeable and enjoyable experience i i do think that you know when you look at the league's landscape there are not a lot of teams in immediate competition market wise with an mls club right like we're one of the few um that has to deal with that so i don't know if special considerations can be made at that standpoint because again from a league perspective and this could have tie-ins to the broadcast structure because we still haven't heard the final announcement of that where they want all of their games to kick off within certain windows like there's probably a lot more that goes into it than just thinking about the considerations of Rhode Island FC but I do agree with you that RIFC will have to watch and monitor this closely because if they start to see attendance decline in those specific times they're going to have to figure something else to do it because it won't it won't be enough in those instances and it's also really interesting because um last week there were some questions out there about with the signing of of Chico or Albert Dequa you know with that kind of firepower who was the most likely now to win uh cup hardware in their season and uh one of the revs fans put out a post about like or, or a poll I should say about like who's more likely to win the revs or Rhode Island FC it was not by any means a completely accurate scientific post because one, I retweeted it. And second, um, you know, I, I, I think revs are still in this like weird identity crisis right now among their fan base, but Rhode Island FC was like completely, um, just completely dominated the poll. It was like 81% of people that participated thought it'd be RIFC first. So jokes aside, if Rhode Island does come home with hardware in the first year, 
that might still galvanize against those problems. I don't think you'll ever compete against the likes of, you know, Barca Light or, you know, FC Messi. But outside of that, I think that there's a real home. And then also, too, the sexiness of, of Tidewater coming online next year. That'll be a completely new experience, even though fans will have just thought they'd had a new experience. So it's a, it's a situation they're going to have to closely monitor. I'm just surprised that that was the decision that the league made because, you know, there are some 4 p.m. games in there. Why didn't we, like, use those timestamps to leverage against the, the games where we were double stacked against that from a competition standpoint? Uh, and maybe, you know, maybe it's Bryant, too. I, I don't there's so many things I just don't know. I will say when I was kind of listening and looking online for impressions from fans, it seems very div- dividing amongst like the diehards who just don't care. They'll show up at any time. And then there's like the family fans that like they, they don't want to be starting at seven o'clock, eight o'clock at night, and then going till 10, 1030 when they have their kids with them. And I, listen, I get both sides of it. We've watched enough games in our lifetime that that's never mattered for us personally. It, it's something that the club should at least you know, I hope they take that collective feedback and they look through that as this year progresses to understand what's the best shakeout for the fans. Because that's that's ultimately what the most important thing is. Like you said, I'll just be curious to see how it pans out. I, I also think that maybe to a certain extent, these two teams, RFC and the Revs, are kind of aiming to a certain extent for different different types of fans. USL is, is slightly more like a um, traditional soccer league. MLS is a closed system with like lots of glamour signings, you know, like, you know, like you said, Barca light, stuff like that, aging European stars coming over. So it's, it's, it's not exactly the same. So just be curious how, um, you know, will the fans who were split between them, will they over the next year or two kind of maybe lean towards one or the other? I don't know, but I can tell you right now, if Kano signed all of, the FC Barcelona players to Rhode Island FC. I, I would not care if we picked up quote unquote aging European. I just said European European <laughs> stars. Uh, I would have no problem with that whatsoever. So, I, but I do agree there's a, there's an identity crisis that will shake out here. I think that the fans that haven't made a decision yet, I, I think you can still have place in your heart for both. But I think your wallet and your attendance, like to be season ticket members of both, is very difficult. Uh, and then, you know, so it could be like, I'm going to choose this one and then go to a handful of games to the other. And that's where Rhode Island FC will probably have to show up and, and try to win those people over because you're not you're not going to steal both unless someone's just only married to the game of soccer and has that much time on their hands. So it's it's a good thought exercise. But then speaking of other things, when it comes to the New England Revolution, hashtag not an MLS podcast, <laughs> I went out and uh, maybe I burned a bridge this week. I don't know. But I got a little snarky online and asked about the status of the Open Cup with both the USSF and uh, the team that covers the Open Cup as far as like a journalistic um, broadcasting site. And, uh, you know, I just wrote out there, are, so what's going on? Like, is MLS back or not? Because I had heard some things amongst the front office for Rhode Island FC that they were like MLS clubs were back, but I hadn't seen anything of like an official announcement. The last thing that was kind of out there that was creating all the outcry was that MLS had been rejected and that they were reviewing all options on a path forward from here. But like that is not a definitive we're returning all of our division one clubs into the open cup tournament. We haven't seen the roster or not the roster. We haven't seen the schedules yet for that because they don't enter until round three. So we won't really know about that till April, but from like a mentality perspective and like what to anticipate in the future, 
it just didn't seem definitive yet. So I sent out a, like a text or a tweet that said, you know, is Don Garber, did, did Don Garber go out and get a gallon of milk and he hasn't come home? Like what, what's going on right now? And, uh, and they just responded that, yeah, MLS is back. And, and then I tried to like double down on that. Like, I want proof. Don't just say that I'm crazy. And they they just continue to say I was crazy. So I'll take that as a definitive answer. But what's really fascinating to me then is, is like, what does that do for the open cup now? Right? Because if MLS was already ready to disregard it, will we just see, will we see reserve teams come up, which I don't care by the way, if that's what happens, that's honestly what the blueprint for a lot of competing teams that don't have the time to put the full senior team onto the roster for the open cup. But like, will that be the, the orders from up top in MLS to all teams? Like, Hey, sabotage yourselves or we're just we don't we're not we're not we're not we don't care about the players health we don't care about the demand on your schedules we can't get out of this so do whatever you have to do to get out as early as possible if you choose to go further in this like that's kind of like your own ship to that that's your own choice and so I, I mean either way that's fascinating to me so I did reach out to the club and it wasn't in any kind of official capacity that this was made committed but there has been discussions about the fact that since we are in um, a temporary home, it's already going to be difficult to secure additional games and times to host something like the Open Cup. So while this hasn't been confirmed yet, I'm going on the record as saying that in the likelihood of whoever we get paired up with, if it's not the MLS team, so if it's not the New England Revolution, and I think NYCFC and Philadelphia Union and and New York Red Bulls are in our like region, like as a like a northeast slash east region, if we don't line up against one of them, and I don't think we will because I think specifically to that region, we're going to see like Hartford or, or Revs, but in the off chance, if it's not a MLS team, there's a good likelihood that whatever game that is, we'll be playing on the road. So if it is Hartford, we need to anticipate and expect that, like I kind of hinted at a couple of months ago, the first, the first derby, it's not going to be in Hartford in the summertime it's going to be in April um, pretty quick. So like fans need to brace themselves and prepare that that's probably more than likely the outcome of what's going to happen. And if we do get the revolution, I think, I think the, I think the front office is going to do everything in their power to make sure that they make them come to Bryant university and host them at Burns stadium. So uh, I'm super excited about that. Does any of that surprise you? No, not really. I, I don't understand why they didn't just leave it up to the MLS teams to decide whether or not they want to take the competition seriously. You know, a lot of them just kind of field, you know, here's, you know, eight youth guys and like a few other dudes who maybe need some minutes, you know, and then maybe other teams like who are potentially not playing for something this year, take it a little more serious and try and win silverware, you know, like the, the mid table teams, right. Who are, not challenging for a um, MLS cup or, you know, they maybe they're in the playoff berth, but they don't see themselves going that far. You know, why not? Anything can happen in cups. Might as well go for it. I, I actually kind of thought that since there's so many predictions that this is, you know, inner Miami's season to lose that some clubs vying for an, an a ticket into CONCACAF or into to some other option or just like getting that hardware that open cup may have been an, a more attractive opportunity for them this year because if you don't think you'll break out of your conference or you have any chance of beating like that's the quote-unquote stacked teams that are existing right now that's always been a viable out um an outsource 
So I still think that despite all of the negative attention MLS has provided to it, I'd love to see Rhode Island FC make a deep run into the Open Cup. But knowing now that MLS has returned and that we may more than likely play our games on the road until we would reach an MLS level of competition, uh, the looks of a, a trouble happening in year one are are fleeting a little bit. I don't know if we'll we'll be able to secure the travel now. I mean, it was always a little bit of a dream, but you know, I'm still dreaming not? it, but it's, it's a little, it's a little less, but in things that I did expect, or I didn't expect uh, this week, I didn't expect the Las Vegas lights to sell uh, to a new owner this close to the start of the season. So you want to, you want to unload that one? Las Vegas lights got a new owner here. MLB all-star, Jose Batista. That might be a potential MLS market. You think this is one of those things where he was looking at buying the team for future investment? Or I wonder. I, I don't know enough about him. Maybe he is a soccer fan. Just so he is a soccer fan. Uh, he has traveled abroad to watch soccer. Um, loves loves the sport. He's been known in his retirement to be making really smart business investments and decisions because. He he made a lot of money as an all star for um for MLB, but he he was a huge slugger. I think his I think his average across the entire um his entire span was like three sixty eight, which is anything above three hundred is hard to do as a average for your entire career. Um, but he 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 moved into this space because he loves the sport. What I can't understand if he's that good of a businessman, how how did he approach this deal? Because like you said. We know that Vegas is a MLS target market for expansion along with like the likes of Detroit. I don't know if this is a way to directly compete or to show that it's viable and then get up, get into the ownership group for Vegas as a result. I mean, we've seen other teams enter the market as, uh, you know, expansions in, but they're, you know, like the St. Louis cities, the Orlando cities. Um, we've seen that before. I don't think the lights would care like i don't think the mls would be the the las vegas lights as the expansion franchise you know they love they'd be las vegas fc let's get honest <laughs> but i i don't i don't know what kind of a deal this is and honestly we don't really know a lot more about what's going on i think they just let go of their coach i think they announced it earlier today or, or late yesterday so the roster if it's the carryover from last season because the lights are really bad about announcing anything they don't announce stadium attendance they don't announce player signings or injuries they don't they don't announce anything except for when the helicopter cash drop is that's the only thing they announce on on the regular so i think they're down to like 16 players for their operational roster they don't have a head coach right now so it'll be really interesting to see the, how the team transforms under batista that being said i'm i'm at least excited that someone wanted out of club operations and someone picked up the tab so this isn't another rgv toros but I don't know if this is just like kicking the can down the road in terms of the problems this club faces or if Batista has some sort of transformative idea on how to like reshape this team. Yeah, I don't know. I I wonder as a destination, um, you know, Las Vegas sees a lot of travel from people all over the world. So if he can put some money into this team and make this an exciting like product... I feel like there is some potential there where um, you can have people just say, hey, we're in Vegas. I've heard this lights team is exciting. You know, maybe stop by and see a game. Watch he does something like more terrible. Um, the whole controversy with, with the with the golf 
the golf course that got bought out in East Providence where the original owner was like a Rhode Island native PGA tour guy. I, I can't remember his name off the top of my head because I don't follow golf. But he bought the course to save it and then flipped it and sold it. And that's what's caused all the controversy with it. Watch Batista because they play it at Cashman Field. It's a baseball field. Batista's a baseball player. The A's are trying to figure out what to do in the interim of coming to Las Vegas. Watch she just bought the team at like a bargain to like kick them out and then make space to renovate a temporary home for the A's so that he can be like a partial owner. Oh, double whammy. Do if a little I, bit of both, maybe. If that happens, like I, I'm on the record, you heard it here first. I hope it doesn't happen. The lights don't deserve that. But, but either way, like the 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 verdict's not out yet on it. So I, I'm just excited that they're still here. Um, and that they'll be playing this year in, in the 2024 season. So exciting stuff. We've got we've got tons more to go over. So let's keep going. Uh, media Day. So we had Media Day, uh, the first one uh, ever in the club's history. Uh, it was uh, last Friday. It was always it's always fun to have a Media Day right after your podcast because you have a whole week to to stew on it. Kind of like when we have the games, we're gonna have five six days before we have to really unpack it. Which it's great in the moment of like thinking how you want to talk about something. It's terrible for the patience of wanting to just like get the information and the content out there. But they did set up uh, last Friday in, in North Smithfield. They weren't at Bryant because Bryant wasn't available at the day and could fit all of the media personnel. So that's why they chose that site. They are still practicing at Bryant on the regular. In fact, they were out today practicing outdoors for the first time uh, in the better, you know, I say better with like almost air quotes in the better winter weather. So it was really exciting to see the, the team. I, I got to sit amongst uh, a lot of different media personnel and personalities, um, and it was just really exciting to watch the club kind of work through things. So what I can report and share um, that wasn't in like either the article I got a chance to write for the Blazing Musket, which, you know, shout out to that organization. They're a really great bunch of people, and they're working really hard to provide RIFC content as well. Um, so make sure you're giving them reads whenever they drop articles. But beyond like the fitness routines and, you know, the general like, exercise stuff that you do to improve uh, match fitness it was really interesting they decided to spend the day in front of media working on a couple of key things which i think echo what we've talked about but also kind of reimagine what we've tried to decipher as formations so the first one was they they really worked on possession um they 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 were making sure that anything that they did they retained the ball, and if they lost the ball, they jumped back on it as fast as possible. But specifically in that possession, they were working on how to distribute out the back. So whether it was Koke or Jackson or a couple of other trialists, which we'll talk about in a second, um, they were working on distributing first and foremost out of the back. How did they break high-pressing teams? So you know when they were just right up in their grill, and how did they advance the ball down the, the pitch? It's not an uncommon drill, I've been told. I've, I've actually never watched practice with the intent of understanding the drills. Um, but a lot of their focus was not just in maintaining the possession and playing outside of the back, but also making sure they advanced the ball with intentional passes and moving through high press cuts. So it was like, how can we get the ball to J.J. Williams in three to five passes? You know, most often trying to target those three passes. So you saw a lot of fast transition you saw a lot of intentional play with purpose. Um, it, it was it was really exciting to see. I I've never watched, like I said, soccer at that level when I'm trying to understand and decipher at a practice acumen. Um, so it was really exciting to see. But most importantly, and what I want to kind of pause on for a second was 
in those formations, if you can call it that, because they were playing with like only the back half. They weren't playing like full 11 on 11. But what was really interesting to see in the in the high press practice sessions is they were experimenting with both a four back formation uh, on the on the four back line and a three back formation with the wingers pushed back up. So that kind of just reconfirms to me what we've been talking about all along that it looks like coach will have some sort of freedom on deciding like what he wants to leverage on game day between the traditional four back line and then the opportunity of that three back line where where the wing backs are pressed up. It was interesting in the four back rotations, we would see Gabriel Alves out on the left back side with another player, which we'll talk about in a second kind of in rotation. And then in the three back line, that this new player, um, Karifa Yao, would step into the space and then partner with Jojea Quizera, who we've been suspecting this entire time will play more of a defensive wingback role than an offensive wing uh, winger. So that seeing him practice in those places kind of just again confirms what we've been talking about this entire time. So it looks like it's not necessarily a competition, although I'm sure on game day, depending on formation of what coach chooses, it definitely will come down to what tactics, you know, coach wants to use, whether deploying Gabriel or Georgia. But those were the kind of two standouts that we saw. And then we'll, we'll talk a little bit about Karifa's partnership and connection to Georgia here in a second. Uh, but I, I was, I, I thought it was a fantastic day. It you saw an unmatched intensity amongst the players. I mean, it was only their fourth or fifth day showing up together they did work through Monday, by the way. That was confirmed in the in the press discussions, how they had reported in on Monday as well. Um, but every player was there to impress. Every player was there to show the coaching staff and the technical group what they brought to the club. It was a great experience to be a part of. I will say, though, if I could quickly highlight kind of what I thought was very much the best showings of the day. And, and look, everyone has their on day. Everyone has their off day. But Gabriel Alves was really showing up brightly when it came to his defensive work and his ability to to make intelligent passes to break out of those pressure groups. And then Amos Shapiro, Shapiro Thompson was all over the landscape. That man was just tracking down balls left and right where if he didn't have it at his feet, he was going and trying to take it from other people. I watched him body other players and trialists where – I mean, he's not the biggest person on the team, and you would have never known with the intensity that he brought to the group. So those were definitely some of the, the highlights of the day that I saw that were working harder. You know, and I, I should be careful when I say harder, just showing up um, in bigger ways than the rest of the group. They were definitely trying to make names for themselves on the day. So that being said, in addition to the players that we're going to talk about a little later uh, that were signed, you know, there were some collegiate players and a couple other trialists from MLS that were on site. So I have to be careful about not sharing the MLS ones because I don't think the club wants those announced. Um, they were all former MLS. I should go out and say that. They're not like active players that are trying to jump ship. Um, but I need to be careful about who we say uh, for until those are announced or if they even get confirmed. But we did see uh, some additional collegiate players. So first and foremost, Lucas Burns, who we've been saying for several months makes sense as the third keeper to line up, just given his um, his familiarity with Coach Spratt. But we also saw Kevin Vang uh, from Providence College as well. And then Ethan O'Brien from Notre Dame and Nate Silveria from Crown Legacy. Uh, they were on site running drills. There were there were other players too, but those were the ones that could be identified. 
Nate's an interesting option because I know that he's been um, exploring options with other clubs as well. So to be on site, to be practicing with the first team, that was a that was an interesting sign of maybe we're getting closer to signing someone like that. Again, we now have 19 players and coaches gone on the record saying anyone we pick up at this point, they need to significantly add value to the club. Otherwise, it's not something we need to move forward with. And with these two defensive signings, I mean, we're a mostly complete team at this point, wouldn't you say? I think there's always um, room to have one or two bar any like, you know, surprise injuries. You know, you don't want to get caught where you've got two people out in the back line. You know, you're going to need that extra person, even just for for drills, practicing throughout the season. You know, Coach was very honest and upfront during his interview that some of these trialists may stay all the way up until, you know, the day before game one. So we just won't know who kind of finalizes that that squad rotation uh, and pick up there. But but in in terms of the rest of the media day, I will say, and I have to be careful because I don't want to go out and make fun of my now peers. I think I think we can call them peers because we're media, right? Um <laughs> But after the practices were done, that was the chance for us to kind of go out and get player access. Uh, Rhode Island FC's new communications director was fantastic in wrangling everyone together and making sure that everyone showed up in the moment. And so I got to sit there. Now, I'm, I don't know any of these people. And these were newspaper journalists, uh, broadcast journalists, you know, you name it. And so there's a pecking order, right? So you go through and each person asks their questions. And I was at the very end because I'm the, you know, un- obscure media podcast guy. And so I sat there and I let everyone ask the questions. And at first I was kind of concerned, like, oh, man, they're going to they're getting it all the juicy bits for their broadcast parts where that's what they're going to record and show on, you know, TV or or write in the, in the print because we knew that this wouldn't come out till later. And I I just was kind of blown away at the questions that were asked. They they were all completely fine and average questions to ask anybody, but there wasn't really any soccer-specific questions inside the mix. Um, more so to the point, one of them focused a lot on the Tidewater controversy, which, it, you know, for us personally, like we, we roll our eyes now because it's like, oh, here we, here we go again. I didn't know that that morning a new article on Tidewater had come out, so... It was very fresh for the team, and but to ask coach and the and the you know what was the status of that? It's just you know coach handled it really well, but listening to him just kind of say the same talking points over to the media, it was just a really good opportunity that if they had had some more specific soccer content focused writers, reporters, journalists, what have you, I think I think the 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 circuit could have been done a lot better. Um, there was one question that was asked where. They, they just said, so tell me about, I mean, if, if you listened to the, we, we put the raw tape out for everyone just to listen and participate because whenever we can, we want to give listeners access to those. Um, but there was one point where like one of the questions was like, so tell me about Dequa, like what are, what are his skills? Like, I, I mean, I, we went in prepared, right? Like I made sure I asked the questions that mattered. I, so I, anyways, it was just really interesting to work with my quote unquote peers for the first time. They're all really great people. I don't want this to be something where their takeaway is like I'm hostile towards them. Um, but I really hope that in the future we are leveraging the right resources as a community, as especially in the media areas to give the team the right support when it comes to asking those like important, more meaningful questions. Cause if those are the same kinds of questions we'll get after the end of game one, it's going to be, so tell us how you walk us through how you won that game or how you lost that game. You know, like 
what stood out to you? Like you, you need like we're just gonna need to get better as a community to support the club on those. Yeah, I think part of the problem with that is the audience too, though. Unless it's a specifically sports outlet, kind of you know like what we're doing here, where we are talking soccer, they're trying to cover a more broad base. So right now, seeing as RAFC has not played any games, we don't have any footage out there or games to call to and say well we'll look at this this is what happened all all they have is you know stadium news to just kind of you know get all the angry facebook people to re to get <laughs> to angrier at, yeah just you know keep them riled up i will say there was one interesting question asked though that um i was trying to stay away from because i didn't want to catch this player in, in a raw moment that he wasn't prepared for i don't want to ever ambush people if, if you ever catch me ambushing people Tell me to stop it. We got to get out of the podcast business because that's not what I wanted to do this work for. But but they did ask J.J. Williams how he felt about um, the Dequa signing and like how, as a striker himself, as the quote-unquote number nine that was originally signed with the club, how the news of a more prolific, at least in one year, uh, you know, one year's time signing, what that meant to him. And he didn't miss a beat to explain how excited he was how much he was looking forward to working with Dequa. I think either through coaches' um, explanations or through his own observations of Dequa's performance, he realized that Dequa is more of a, a finisher. And and if he needed to start repositioning as a distributor, which we've already talked about as well, like does he play more of a central forward with Dequa as a striker? He contains the ball with his aerial capture, with his dribbling. Those were all things he was already prepared to answer. So the fact that he's already kind of thinking and and offering that he'll have to adjust his play style, because I, I don't think Dequa changes a thing. I think a lot of players need to learn a new system under coach, and that's not Dequa's job. Dequa's job is to be, you know, somewhere in the box, you know, stretch the defense, be available, poach a goal, and, you know, finish it, right? So I was really excited to see JJ's approach to this, um, and I thought that that was a really, a really interesting question for them to ask, and, and we got some really good content along that side. I imagine to being a professional athlete, you know, you you have to be ready for competition. So, you know, you you have to look at that as they both play play the same position, but you know, he can be they can be strike partners. It doesn't have to be like, well, now I'm on the bench, you know. Right. And I, I will say too, you know, I, I don't wanna go out and be a pessimist here. Every golden boot winner doesn't win the golden boot the next year, right? Like we, I actually looked at the previous uh, couple of golden boots. They don't have the same numbers that they put up the next year. In fact, one player off of rising just completely dropped off a cliff, went from 22 goals and like 13 assists to three goals in, in the next season. And that's without injuries, right? So having having the awareness and the tactical understanding that Williams is already providing to play alongside Dequa, it's just an exciting, it's an exciting proposal. And I'm, I'm glad that, like you said, he's not looking at this as, oh, this guy's going for my spot. He's looking at, at this so far as how do I complement Dequa? How do I uh, evolve my game? How do we work in conjunction to score a bunch of goals? So super excited to see those two in whatever formation, whatever style it is, just excited to see them both on the pitch. Yeah, looking forward to uh, seeing what their partnership can produce for us. Speaking back to the questions and interviewing players like JJ and whatnot, after the cameras were turned off, the communications director did make the players that were still around in the facility available for uh, some additional questions. 
and we jumped on that chance. So we were we have the privilege of being able to uh, share with listeners uh, a couple of interviews that we were able to secure. So the first one was with uh, Irish international Mark Doyle. Uh, super excited that we were able to kind of have a couple of minutes to discuss how he's transitioned um, here to America and to the club and kind of what were some of his initial impressions with with practice and what he intends to contribute to the to the game. So enjoy the Mark Doyle interview. Welcome to Rhode Island. How are you uh, integrating into Rhode Island life now? You probably have the, besides Koke, you probably have the largest move and migration yeah, here. So. Um, yeah, good. We've, we've enjoyed it so far. My girlfriend's with me. Um, so we're both just kind of settling in at the minute. Um, can't lie, we haven't seen much because um, we've been getting furniture. We've been, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, no, it's, it's been enjoyable so far. And um, glad to get in here now for the week, just get routine going and uh, start training again because it's been a long time uh, coming. So delighted to be uh, actually here now and uh, getting going. Definitely. Have you ever been a part of a project like this where you're seeing it from the, literally the ground up? No, never, never. Um, well, to be honest, I think, you know, the Cano and Dave and Mark, like, they know, they all know the league. So I think, you know, you can trust in them that they're going to get a team that's going to compete in it. I kind of know the league from just, you know, watching it from afar. It's always been something I've been interested in and kind of having a look at and thinking I'd like to play in it. So obviously when the opportunity came up and I talked to them, it was kind of obvious that they're going to have a team that's going to be competitive. So then I was, you know, new team you think it might you know sometimes can be um might not be competitive but i think you can tell by the players that are brought in here that, that we're serious you know what i mean so yeah um, that's absolutely why uh, i was all up for it there's a lot of stigma uh for players coming from europe or ireland and then coming to america i think we're seeing that barrier erode right it's not as bad as it may have been in like 1995 but you're one of the players that's going the other direction right a lot of american talent tries to get to those leagues what was the decision behind coming to the USL? Um, well, I, I've been I've been playing like professionally in Ireland since about seventeen, so I'm twenty five now. So, um, it's been you know you, there's ten teams in the Premier Division. Like you play everybody four times. It's kind of the same, you know, thing. Oh, it's great league. It's get, and it's getting better. And you know the attendances in the last couple of years have been brilliant. Like the a lot of stadiums are sold out and stuff. The interest is for there is like you know it's it's as good as it's ever been. Like. We just played, uh, my last game for Pats was the Cup Final. The FA Cup Final was a record attendance. It was 44,000 people there. So, like, the league is growing there. That was two Dublin clubs um, playing against each other. But um, it's just for something different. It's a, it's a new experience. Um, it's something I've always kept an eye on. There's Irish players that have come here and done well. Um, and I've always kind of kept an eye on them. And, um, yeah, I just said, I always said I wanted to try it. I never wanted to play my whole career in Ireland. Um, how long I stay here, you know, it obviously depends on how well it goes and how much I enjoy it. But um, so far, so good. So you're the next coming of Robbie Keane? Um, I wouldn't say that, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, couldn't, uh, I couldn't put myself up there uh, just yet. No. He's, one of, he's one of my favorite players yeah, of all yeah, time. Class, yeah, class. Um, what are you hoping to contribute this year with your with your play style, with your performance? What, what's something that you're bringing uniquely to contribution to the to the game? Um, well, yeah, obviously I'm like play out wide usually, um, but kind of I always like to get in the box. Um, I always like to arrive in the box and when the opposite winger has it on the field, that's whoever it is. <laughs> 
want to contribute with goals, assists. Um, and yeah, I think like now I'm 25, I have a bit of experience obviously in a different league and stuff. I haven't got experience in this league yet, but that will come. But I think I can help other players as well a little bit. Um, you know, just won the cup. Um, that's kind of a big, um, it's a big achievement in Ireland and I've done that now. So um, it was nice to finish on that note because, you know, the experience of that and playing in front of, you know, 40,000 people will, will stand to me. And um, yeah, I think I can just bring a little bit something different um, that, you know, maybe in, in this league is, you know, a lot of the players who are Irish that have come here. I don't think any of them have been attackers. So um, we'll see how uh, I can score a few goals and represent the, the Irish attackers. <laughs> it's it's definitely early, but what's the message that you would want to hope to convey in your playing time here to other players in Ireland or abroad that may want to come to a league like USL? Yeah, well, I think there's definitely interest. Um, I know, like, I have a good few people kind of, you know, texting me and asking me about um like kind of why i decided to do it when it, when it was announced and everything like that and um you know i have teammates at pats who i know um uh would be you know kind of keeping an eye on me now and stuff so they'll probably want to see how i get on first um and then you never know what you know they might want to try it at some stage of their career or um obviously like players from the us they want to go to um europe some of them as well so that's just how it works i think you play in your own country kind of for a while and you know you kind of have an itch to to get something a little bit different. So you're both a player and an ambassador now, basically. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that now. Either. I think Robbie Keane done that as well, so <laughs> I'll leave that to him. <laughs> so, Jason, first question, why don't you sound like that as an Irishman yourself? Because um, I'm a fake Irishman. <laughs> Third my gran- generation my gran- removed. My grandfather was there, was from there. Yeah, I've, I haven't been. I'd like to go one day. Um, it's good to hear Robbie Keane's name brought up, you know, legend, Irish, St. Keane. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm curious too about the, uh, we talked about the, um, you know, setting a standard for maybe some of the smaller European leagues, having them come over here. Um, I'd be curious to see how that starts to pan out. Um, MLS and USL as they start to, to continue to grow, Soccer's been growing in America here. I wonder if we'll see some more of that. Be curious to kind of, um, especially with World Cup coming up too. You know, soccer is going to continue to grow in this country. So I wonder if we'll be seeing some more of these smaller leagues have some of their better players who maybe can't crack into, like, let's say the Premier League or La Liga or Bundesliga or something like that. Maybe make their way over here. It's kind of, even if it is just like a stepping stone for to a certain extent, you know. It could be good for us. I I think that's that's spot on. What was fascinating too is he went out of his way to talk about um, attacking minded players. Right? He he had commented that you know there's not a lot of attacking players coming this direction. So he's looking at it as an opportunity because I think you're right too. The saturation of clubs that exist in Europe. You know he could have gone to the Welsh league. He could have gone to the Scottish Premier. He could have gone to you know insert country and its first or second team you know this was a tactical decision by mark to try something that he thought was going to be you know a lightning rod or jump start at the next uh step in his career so having that kind of wherewithal to to make this approach is a huge leap of faith for him uh just just excited to hear how excited he is about joining the squad so i i hope that things really shape up nicely and and i hope it's a it's a kind of a poster call to other players, like you said, to, to come and join USL, that there's viable paths forward to to increase your 
your game, increase your salary, increase your awareness um, out there amongst the soccer elites. So really excited. And then after Mark, um, we had the pleasure of being able to have a, a quick moment in time with uh, Connor McGlynn. So Connor was still on site and I wanted to make sure we got a chance because we hadn't talked to him since the kit reveal where he was there giving us some some kind of uh, gracious moments there too. So had a chance. So enjoy Connor's uh, kind of reflection on uh, training for the day and kind of what the, sh- the team is shaping up to be. You were one of our first players signed. You come from what is closely becoming our quickest rivals <laughs> down yeah. the street in New England. Yeah. What was going through your mind when you decided to make the transition from Hartford Athletic to Rhode Island FC? Uh, I knew just it was a great opportunity for me. I think it was it was just time in my career for a, a change. I think, you know, when you're playing soccer, you don't want to get too comfortable in any situation. So when this opportunity came about, I think I kind of just jumped at it. I was super excited with, you know, the prospects of starting from scratch and it just kind of it's like a do-over for me you know we obviously weren't successful over in Hartford and I think here with the staff and players we have and you know the fan base behind us I think we'll we'll make something special do you have any reservations going into the first derby or is it is it Rhode Island now and and that's all that matters in front of you it's Rhode Island now you know obviously I, I enjoyed my time at Hartford I'm always appreciative but I represent Rhode Island FC and that that's my team and that's what I'm going to fight for. There's been a lot of speculation about where you'll fit into the system. It's obvious you're going to be a key important cog inside the wheel, but do you have any inclination yet so far of where you think you'll be lining up in the starting 11? I'm just trying to do my best in training every day. I think I think we have a lot of good midfielders, a lot of good forwards, a lot of good defenders, so I'm just trying to showcase what I can do on the field and and I'm, it's up to the coaches to make that decision. Obviously, I see myself as a six a guy that's comfortable on the ball, able to facilitate, able to get forward as well and score some some pretty cool goals. So I'm just trying to do what I can in training to, to help the team and, and just be a leader out there. How great is it to have Prince Sadie join you from Hartford Athletic as well? It's been amazing. You know, Prince is, is a great guy on and off the pitch. You know, he brings a lot of flair, a lot of cool tricks. So I think he's going to be an exciting one to watch. And, and to be his teammate for three years, obviously we have that, that connection on the field. In terms of this team coming together, you were also a part of Hartford Athletic coming together. Are you seeing similarities in this experience? A little bit, yes and no. But I think here we're doing things right in terms of, you know, the little details, you know, on the pitch and off the pitch, whether it's with housing, whether it's the way we want to play. I think here we're, we don't want to say the word culture, but we are building a culture here. We're building a winning culture, whether it's, you know, a little game in training. You know, there's there's a competitive aspect in everything that we're doing. And we want to build, a, you know, basically an identity of the way we want to play. So I'm seeing that very, very early on, even the first week of training. Have you noticed anything that's a standout that you'd like to call out from training sessions so far? Anything that surprised you? It's very intense. You know, I think that that's one of the key things we want to be as a team is is a team that's that's fun to watch, that's intense on both sides of the ball. So, um, you know, a team that goes forward, that's very exciting. And then on the defensive end, just being very, very difficult to break down. It seems like offensively we have the firepower now in place with Chico signing, with J.J. Williams and the other wingers. Defense still looks like there needs to be some additional signings. I've seen some other players and trialists today that we won't talk about, but you're in the midfield. So either way, your responsibility is to connect those two things. What's your priority in this now? Is it is it letting the offense do its thing or is it making sure that there's compact shape and defensively sound decisions in the back end? I say just to kind of 
the way we want to look at it is we're we're one unit, you know. So we have very gifted forwards in JJ and, and Dequa, and basically all of our forward players are gifted. And and as midfielders, we want to give them as much service as we can, so they can you know do the hardest thing in soccer and score goals. And then on the defensive end is to to really back up our defense. We have really really solid defenders, and and just be good teammates and good communicators and and just be super, super hard to score against. What's your personal growth and goal commitments for the year? My goal for me personally is just to to just be a leader in this team. I know I can be, uh, to bring what I can, to score goals, to defend well, and, you know, overall as a team to, to be one that's exciting to watch and, and make the playoffs because, you know, we obviously want to do that in our first year. That's the goal and make a run at it. Why not? Right. There's been arguments now that that is a very large target that before it would have been a nice to have, but now it's kind of ramping up that it's an expectation. Does that put additional pressures on you? Not on me. No, I don't. I, I think pressure is, is very external. I, I try and, you know, bring what I can to the team. I think, you know, the pressure is what you put on yourself. So I feel confident in my play. I feel really, really confident in my coaching staff and my teammates. So, you know, with the guys that we have, I don't see why we can't, you know, really make a run at it. What's the most uh, exciting preseason match you have ahead? Which one are you looking forward to going and playing? Uh, I know we have we have one against Orlando City. You know, every time you play against an MLS team in preseason, you know, there's that little bit of, you know, you really want to show that, that you're really about it. You know, obviously, you know, MLS and, and USL have had kind of a little bit of discrepancy sure. with the, you know, the whole Open Cup thing. Uh, but, yeah, just kind of sticking it to an MLS team in preseason, obviously, <laughs> is, uh, you know, it's cool. It's a cool moment to play against them, kind of see how you match up, you know, because obviously Orlando are a top team as well. So they're a playoff team every year. So it'd be a good, good test for us. I saw you were staying active during the pre, uh, the off season mm-hmm. uh, training. I think you maybe have spent some time with your brother, Jack, as well. Mm-hmm. How was that process? It's great. I think he's, you know, he's done exceptionally well. I'm so proud of him. You know, he, he's at the U.S. men's national team camp, which is which is crazy. And he's absolutely deserved that. Um, and he's just the, honestly the best training partner. You know, I'm more of a defensive-minded player. He's more offensive-minded. So, you know, we kind of – my strengths are his weaknesses and vice versa. So we kind of work well together. And then I have to credit my dad as well. He's a coach down in Savannah, and he's he trained us for most of the offseason as well. So kind of fine-tuning the little things that we need to work on. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the first step here after Connor. Uh, listen, this guy's got captain material written all over him. I mean, not only did he say he wants to step up as a leader for the organization, but he's got USL veteranship. Um, he knows the New England area well. I, I I think that I would not be surprised if Connor ends up with the with the armband for for the first year, or at least one of the players that does. I know that you know that's not always a a permanent thing amongst the rotation, but I, I was just really impressed with Connor's ability to kind of decipher what has worked well for Rhode Island FC versus Hartford and his time there. Um, and uh, just what he wants to do and how he wants to contribute his play style. I, I, I love a player like this. He's, he's just an incredible guy. Yeah. You love to hear the confidence from him and it's great to continuously hear people saying how Rhode Island FC is doing all the right things. I know we're saying it too, but even the players, when he makes the comparison to Hartford, you know, that everything we are doing along the way is the, the right thing i was really surprised when he brought up the the housing piece it almost makes me want to ask like what horror story happened there um i know that he roomed with prince sadie 
uh, there, which I think he's also rooming now here with Rhode Island FC. It, it's really fascinating how those little things are, are what matter to a player at this level too. Of like, it's not it's not just the fitness, it's not just the performance. It's the way clubs go out of their way to make sure that the player feels like they're a part of the organization, a part of the community. Yeah, probably Hartford was uh, housing them in that uh, like uh, barbarian basement, and it was just Dylan down there. <laughs> I was just going to say they were housing them in Hartford and that's enough, right? <laughs> yeah, same thing. Oh, man. But anyways, I'm super excited. We can't wait to have more interviews um, in the weeks and months to come. We've been working with the club to try to get some quick access sessions with each of the players that are interested or willing to, you know, to come on to the podcast. It's not like they are. It's a requirement, so we have to be we have to be honest with ourselves on that one. But just really appreciate the the time and effort from both Mark and Connor in that time. So uh, we, we still have more to go. So you want to talk player signings now? Let's talk about some of the other people that we saw at the uh, at the media day. Yeah, so uh, RAFC's picked up Karifa Yao. He's going to bring uh, depth to our center back position. He spent some time with the uh, Canadian Premier League. is where he put most of his time into uh, with Cavalry FC. He spent a little bit of time in Montreal and Vancouver, not a lot of appearances in MLS. He, he only has one. Yeah. Which he, is a really weird stat. He has one minute <laughs> in one game. Like it was like almost like a cap tie. But he put up uh what is it four that over four thousand minutes in the Canadian Premier League. So Oh no, yeah. I mean he got playing time and, and he spent a lot of the time too with Vancouver Whitecaps too last season. But while he only played the one minute there, he did have lots of minutes in every single Vancouver Whitecaps knockout game for the season. So he was in the, um, he was in the league's cup knockout. He was in the, um, the Canadian cup. I, I didn't, I, for, I totally forgot, by the way, there's a Canadian cup that is only for the Canadian teams. And most of the time, one of the MLS teams of the three win it. So they, they almost always get a chance to go into uh, champions play because of that. Yeah, the Canadian Premier League itself is actually not that old. I remember in the decade or so I've been following soccer here in the U.S. When I first started, it was not a thing. Um, as as MLS started to grow, and, and I imagine this is part of the reason why Canada made the last World Cup and they as a team have grown, they've been investing a lot more in their own you know, National Soccer League. He was a, I think he, wasn't he a youth player for them for a bit on the under 23s as Correct. well? Yeah, he was a U23 for Canada. So, I mean, he is currently still 23. So, you know, maybe he's got a chance to get into the senior team. Um, he's another tall boy, uh, over six foot. Did you know we have, Kano mentioned this on a call we were on earlier, but he said we have over 12 people on the team. I think he's wrong. I think we have like... 18 of of 19 are over six i think only amos is maybe maybe joe's a close number two but i i think every player for the most part is is over six feet tall yeah so i imagine the team might be pretty dangerous on set pieces we'll see um yao picked up some consistently high ratings uh for games he's consistently above average at winning duels um aerial duels especially being being how tall he is um he was voted player of the year 2021 from cal for cavalry fc i so the, those are it's interesting because like you can get into 
a lot of different stats depending on what site you go to and you can find like oh he was a the highest average player in this performance aspect or or he won the ball this many times in this thing or like you like on a full moon he made 16 percent higher slide tackles but what i love in the stats that matter are things like what you just shared where um when you get signed as as a fan or an assigned when you get uh chosen as a fan favorite those are the people that connect with the community those are the people that that you know wear the crest uh, just beyond their their kit they wear it on their sleeve they wear it you know tattooed to their their skin like those are the people that live and die by the organization so it is no light order no matter what club you're in to win fan favorite uh, especially as a defender right because that's not the fun appealing electric you know signing of, of an attacking player so i i just i love that that's a, a, a kind of a, an award in his in his war cabinet there i watched quite a bit of his various highlight reels throughout his time and uh what stood out to me was that he uh remains very strong and um he is you know he is not afraid to come out and you know make a challenge so we're gonna need that especially with some of the emergency defending i think we're gonna have to do with the style of play that coach is looking for with this with this uh possession high uh, risk high high risk high reward yeah uh, one other fun fact, I don't know if you got a chance to mention it about him, but he also spent time in CF Montreal before he came to Vancouver. I mean, he's been, he's, he's a Canadian player, right? So he's been in all of the Canadian circuit, but he was in Montreal at the same time as one Rhode Island FC teammate, Jose Quazera. And I, I don't know if they played together. I didn't do enough homework fast enough to, uh, to research if they ever were on the field at the same time for, for minutes. But what I do know is, is that when we were at the media day, he was playing in that third back, in that three, that three center back line, he was playing as that left center back, right? So he was absolutely partnering and coupling with, um, with Jojea. And so it just kind of goes back to something I read somewhere online earlier in the, in the year, which is only 20, like five days, but it's fun <laughs> to say it that way, where um, if you look at the synergies that coach is unlocking, you know, you've got you've got Connor McGlynn and then there's an immediate like dotted line to Prince Sadie right on the right. You've got now um, you've got Karifa to Jojea on the left back. And then, of course, you've got Grant and Koke in the dead center. And then you have some other ones, too, like you could unpack Noah Fusan and Clay Holstead on the right as as potential alternates. And now even too even though it's not as quite established depending on the formation you pick, but you have Marky Barra to, to Dequa, right? So it's like, it reminds me of when you build ultimate team in FIFA, where you try to pick like the nationalities or the former clubs to build better, um, yeah, better you're, synergies. You're just trying to get those chemistry points up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would not say, I'm not going to go on the record saying that coach is, is treating this like he's constructing his FIFA ultimate team, but it's fun to see that. I don't know that a lot of, managers have gone out of their way to um to build those kinds of cohesions maybe that was intentional or maybe it's just like hey while i'm here i'm gonna take this player and i'm gonna take this player um but it's just really interesting i imagine constructing a team out of nothing it might be easier where everyone kind of at least knows one or two people as opposed to if you already have your your unit they've already played together for a while bringing a new person in Instead, everyone, to a certain extent, is going to be new and maybe doesn't have very much experience playing with each other. Um, if this club does well, 
I mean, they're going to watch for years the blueprint that's been established here and see how they can emulate it. And that could become the norm for any expansion side moving forward is finding those chemistry unlocks. But I have one more important question to ask you. Do Canadians count as internationals? Uh, in the USL, I'd say they would. In in MLS, hashtag not an MLS podcast, you have... You know, Canadian, Canadian teams, teams right. so it would make it wouldn't be fair to, to say Canadian, uh, you know, as put them list them as internationals, right? But USL but, is only in the United States, so but here's the thing there was a USL team back in like you got to know the history of this, but I think it was 2016. Uh, there was the Ottawa Fury, so did they amend because think about it right before you go there because I know you just want to answer this right away, but if you really think about it. If they had a Canadian team, that would have meant at the time the same rules would have applied. If another team took advantage of that rule and said, okay, well, I'm going to bring some Canadian talent in, they now have Canadians on the roster. If USL went to go amend that after the Fury were removed from the league, like, well, I've got these Canadians. I can't make your, I can't be com- roster compliant. So do they go, okay, we're just not going to touch this. Did they ever, I, I I still haven't got my hands on a USL maybe, rule book. Maybe there was a grace period there. <laughs> maybe it's still happening, right? I, I, again, I don't know. I don't even know the cap on internationals. I just know that it is a requirement. Um, we still have to figure that out. But I, I was thinking that through like, does this person count as an international? And if so, did we really go just like five hours north to secure a player that, you know, is now an international because of where they were born? So just just interesting stuff do you do you think that he will have to go down as an international i i imagine he will um considering he's played for the u23 and he's still young i think there's some potential there so i think this is probably a good pickup in that regards you know even though we are going to be i imagine we're it's going to cost us an international slot okay all right well then that's one player down we've got another one so in addition, we also have signed Kofi Chumase. So you may have heard me say that as Chu. Uh, T- I've learned, because I've already butchered it a couple times, that that it is Chumase. Um, Chumase arrives from Rhode Island via uh, the Atlanta United group, uh, specifically where he was playing with Atlanta United 2 and MLS Next Pro. Uh, it's really interesting. He spent a lot of time uh, gaining a lot of minutes uh, with the two. And in that space, he... He shined most consistently as a like a defensive midfielder. In over 2,000 minutes, he completed 90% of his passes, uh, which were the second highest on the team. And uh, and as a defensive midfielder, he left he led the the uh, team in tackles with 45. What was really interesting is the club bills him as a defender on kind of like the signing card that they put out there. But when you look at his minutes and time spent with Atlanta United too. Um, he kind of split his time almost equidistantly with both being a defensive midfielder and a center back. And so this signing is just kind of one of those versatility or, or utility signings that coach has been looking for and continues to acquire in the same way, you know, going back to Clay Holstead, where we don't know if he'll be a right back backup, a center back backup or a right mid. It just goes to show like where coach is thinking, you know, how does he need to provide depth in, in, in needs of instances against injuries or just, in rotation of players. So I'm super excited. He's a little older. So, and this goes back to what Mike Parkhurst had shared on his interview with us about like, what do players do once they leave the Academy? They don't all leave at 17, 18. Sometimes they leave at significantly older age groups, but he turns, he turns 28 this year. And not only has he spent a lot of time with Atlanta in this last season, 
But before this, he has European uh, backgrounds. He played uh, almost exclusively in Europe from 2017 to uh, just 2022. And he was playing in the likes of second division teams in, in Romania and Germany. So I don't know enough to be dangerous to say if, if I mean, I, I imagine any football in Europe is always going to be an advantage. I don't know how that transitioned his game when it comes to how he showed up for Atlanta United too. But uh, any player that spent minutes abroad, like, sign me up for that as well. So I'm super excited about this. Um, also, though, you know, I just kind of want to ask your thoughts on this because he's he's an Atlanta United 2 player. We know how dedicated Michael Parkhurst is to to that club. Do you think there's an influence here, or do you think this is a signing that Coach made, you know, completely independent of that and on his own? That's interesting you bring that up. There, I imagine there might have been a connection there, but I'm, I'm not sure. Um he spent actually most of his playing time though in MLS Next Pro, or I should say most of his minutes. He put up almost 2,000 minutes in Germany, but uh, 2,200 of his minutes were in MLS Next Pro. So when you say he's a little older, I wonder maybe he just, you know, some players age like wine. You know, he's just gotten better now that he's gotten more mature and maybe really kind of come into his role. Oh, no, I, I just say it more from, I think there's this, I don't want to say mentality, but I think when you hear Division Three MLS Next Pro, there's this association that they're all youth academy players, like they're all 15 years old waiting for their chance to be the next, you know, Freddie Adu jumping into the senior team. So that's all. I, I was surprised that, that he was as old. I don't, I don't, listen, That that's the perfect age for a player that we need to join the club. Like that's, that's where they're mature enough. He has the experience. He's seen things. Uh, he's going to be able to handle himself with the appropriate emotional intelligence. He's physically as physical, like physically built as much as he's going to be. Like he's not going to grow into something else. Um, like I'm totally fine with that. I, I'm less inclined when we do sign the likes of a 15 year old, 16 year old, 17 year old, where it's like we don't know what they'll be in three more years. So I'm I'm totally content with it. I just didn't know that MLS Next Pro had players of that age. I I just I myself am guilty of associating it to younger younger formats. Yeah, I guess I, I don't think too much about MLS Next Pro. Basically, I think about like, it every day now. Basically zero. <laughs> <laughs> Except for like when we're doing podcast research. But yeah, I, I probably would guess that they lean towards younger. And I wonder if there is a, I don't want to say a cap, but if you're in your, your late 20s, you know, maybe you start to second guess like what your trajectory is for uh, soccer. Yeah, no, that, that that makes sense. And then to, to kind of cap things off with uh, Chimase, um, it, he's a he's a U.S. He, he's a Ghanaian international, um, but he's gained U.S. citizenship, so this would not count against the international roster spot. So unlike uh, uh, Yao, this is someone who um, doesn't you know play with those configurations. So. Really exciting. This is just the depth piece I think we need. At this point, I feel like I I I see maybe a more dedicated right back, uh, someone specific who can slot behind Turnbull in case of an emergency or just for rotation purposes. But outside of that, I, I or or maybe like a through and through striker if you don't think Noah Fusan can do that role, which I, I think he's more than capable of doing. I think this roster is like built. I I, I feel really good with it right back is potentially one maybe we look at but 
pretty much we're we're there. Third, a third keeper. So I'm st- I'm still claiming Lucas Burns. It's going to be joining us as a third keeper. Nothing confirmed yet, um, and that's probably because there's an MLS player that is probably trying to gun for that third spot. He he couldn't penetrate MLS at the level that he was looking for. So I think there's an opportunity that maybe he can can land a role um, with Rhode Island FC. But otherwise, I think it's Lucas's to have. But so speaking to that. You know, now that we have the players, we've seen the practice, we've seen some of the style between that three and four back rotation. Talk to me about formations. What what's going through your head now? I'm still thinking probably three five two, maybe four four two. You know, with the the talent we have in terms of up, up top our forwards, I you know I think most of the time, unless we are swapping one of them out to give them some rest, we're gonna probably play two up top. How is the configuration behind that look? And, you know, like I've mentioned before, it's just, you know, lineups are just a starting position. Um, so, you know, we still don't know, is is Dequa going to be pushing farther up the field? J.J. Williams pulls behind him. You know, you can still list that as a two. It's just they may, they may, and then, then even even from there, Maybe as, you know, Dequa will pull back and J.J. Williams will push ahead of him. So I don't know. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. I, I still subscribe that it will be some version of a three-five-two, But if for some reason Yao is not in the starting component or, or makeup, then I do think a four-two-three-one uh is the best shape that they can do next you know you have your traditional four and the back line you you have this pulley system between uh connor mcglynn and you heard him you know he looks at himself as a traditional six ibarra is listed as a defensive midfielder so that's another you know six maybe can convert to a more natural eight but i look at it as you have those two players work off of a pulley system off each other and one comes up, one goes down to keep that defensive shape. And then once you have that spine intact, then you can play either compact on that next line of three, or you can open it to the to the wings. And if you do, if you do, let, let's say you go wide, right? Mark Doyle loves to play wide, like he he loves it. That's that's what he shared with us. So you have him kind of sit on the far wing to stretch the field. And then you rely on the likes of like Prince Sadie and his speed and just to just to tear up the right side of the field, whether he stays in and compact and works through like some sort of three ball rotation or three person rotation uh, with Connor and, and Mark or he goes out wide, too. And then you just you bring in JJ a little bit more. Right. So you leave you leave Dequa initially isolated. So he's making runs. He's stretching the defenders. Dequa's not a player that sits there waiting for service. He creates his chances. And so if he's putting pressure on the on the shape of the back line and JJ has the ability to choose, okay, I'm going to go straight to Dequa or I'm going to bring it into the likes of Doyle or Sadie, that makes a lot of sense to me. So if we go with a fourth, two, three, one, I, I'm not, I know, and I know like Pierce will say, well, that's just kind of really a four, four, two in, 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 in a different set of clothes. But that does make a lot of sense. I still just though think that with Jojea and with, Steven Turnbull on the wings and like how to bring them into the attack and overload. I just, I think that a three, five, two suits the possession style because that, that center, which might be Grant Stoneman now, 
maybe it's one of maybe it's Connor McGlynn. You know, like I, maybe it's a, a DM that's dedicated in that frontline position. I don't think so, but maybe it gives them more choices on how to attack then versus having only four on the back line. Because the second you overexpose one side, you kind of become vulnerable to the counterattack. And while we saw this team work through press and and possession, teams like that, and you t- you correct me if I'm wrong, but teams that usually have that, their counter, the, you know, the, the thing that works against a team like that is usually they've lost the ball high up the field. They're now stuck in a bad transition and a, a speedy counterattacking team can eat those kinds of clubs for breakfast. Potentially. Um, I mean, even, you know, when you say um, at the... Three five two gives us more more options there um, in terms of like possession, maybe moving the ball forward. You know, even even a a, a four four two can transform into a you know a three five two depending on what you're asking of your players. So a lot of it's not going to come down to the formation. It's going to also be what does coach want his. What does he want his wingers to do? His holding midfielders, his fullbacks, like are they going are the fullbacks going to be pushing up? Is it both of them? Is it one? So is the the shape of the team going to like transition as we move forward and then what does it look like in like counters and you know when we try and win the ball back? There's a lot of questions that you know, we just don't have the answers to right now. I think the key takeaway here is, is with this much talent now on the team and this much versatility, there's a lot of options. And and like coach said in his interview, which by the way, again, if you haven't listened to that, highly recommend go back and listen to the Monday release. Um, But it gives him a good problem to have. And more importantly, I think there's been a lot of speculation after Dequa's announcement that we weren't as deep as we needed to be to be sound on the defensive side. I think with these two additional reinforcements with Yao and Shumase, I think this averages out the expectations to make us a serious contender. In in fact, so much so that you know uh, John Morrissey uh, and and the USL Show and USL Tactics, they've all been doing like an off season tracker and and like who's been making the the biggest splashes. Ironically, they even we even though we have all these signings. They've listed North Carolina as a, a more complete club at this point, which I find fascinating given given the signings that we've had. They've declared that our signings are fancier and louder and, and more pronounced, but that there's still something that could be missing. I, I think that these defensive reinforcements now complete that picture and, and position us as um, as the club to to beat in the East. But regardless of that, a lot of the pundits and a lot of the people who kind of are tracking these things analytically, they're all now speculating that Rhode Island FC, you know, in, in on paper, let's be clear here, we haven't seen them play yet, but on paper, this is a team that finishes in the top three and secures a home playoff berth for, for the, the postseason. So if they're saying that, I, I'm willing to go on board now and say, like, this is more than just a hope or a dream. This is, this is something that's, you know, legitimate. And they're also speculating that our club will have a plus 50-point season in the regular in the regular season so uh, above 50 points year one again that's something that i can't wait to watch and see unfold if, if that's something that will actually happen yeah exciting times ahead definitely so uh we, we got to talk about one more thing for the for the pod today this derby it, it i i can't even believe we have to talk about it but but we do because it has been a little bit of i don't want to say controversy but it's 
it's definitely been picking up momentum both amongst the the casual fans uh, as they've been participating and then a little bit more uh i you know scandal or you know combativeness when it comes to the more dedicated fans and the supporters group so uh, both Hartford Athletic and Rhode Island FC partner together to kind of have this cross-branding event where uh, they put out on social media that you know you could name that you could participate in naming the Derby for a chance to win a VIP experience at each of the clubs um, for their for their home field day game um, amongst the two teams, and uh, they both released it at the same time. And it was really interesting. You know, you saw the casuals that came up right away and started throwing names out there, right? Uh, one of them called it the, I'm going to call it the name, the Derby Derby, because I'm just going to take the name of your post. One of them named it like the pothole problem, you know, cup or something like that. It was, there's some really fun names out there. Um, and I, and I think, I think it's a fun conversation starter. I, you know, we've been asking the club, and I don't know if this is our fault, by the way, because we started asking the front office, like, what have you thought of any names that they got behind this and started thinking, like, well, we got to name this thing. Um, but regardless, it was really interesting that to then suddenly see, and at least on the Hartford side of things, that their supporter group came out and said, why are you putting this as a social contest? You asked us to come up with a name in partnership with Defiance. And we're working on that right now. Like this wasn't like, like it was something that the fans couldn't participate in. And that kind of took me aback because, you know, at the end of the day, the supporters groups are going to be the most passionate people, but they don't get to decide this any more than like the likes of you and I get to decide what a name would be for something like this. And so it just kind of was really interesting that they thought it was their privilege or their right to, we're going to name, we're going to name this what we want. And then right after that post, you know, we saw suddenly on the Hartford side, all of, and I'm assuming it was their supporter group start individually posting because it was all of them at the same time. Uh, the clam bake cup, uh, the Bonanza and, and Hartford and at Hartford want this to be named the clam bake cup, which I won't get into the particulars of that. I, if I, I just don't see a shellfish need, uh, to be in the name, if you're going to name it the clam bake though, like at least go clam bake classico, like, or the clam bake classic, um, like it just CLCL like that. That's an alliteration waiting to happen. Um, clam bake cup just sounds like an item you order at a red lobster, but yeah, so I, I just found it really interesting. And then, you know, after we heard about clam bake cup, we reached out to Rhode Island FC's group, the defiance 1636. We asked them like, what were their thoughts and speculations on it? Uh, granted, like we have access to the discord. So we see some of their conversation, um, but they wanted to make it really clear that first and foremost, they didn't know where the Bonanza was coming out with these kind of naming conventions. They want this to come naturally and they're more than happy to help influence and make suggestions on names. I think they're kind of keen right now on the war on 44 because that's the, that's the highway route or road that is the closest passing between both, uh, Dillon stadium and, um, and, and, uh, Tidewater, not, not Bryant, but Tidewater, So they were trying to like make it like this, like, you know, land geographical association. Uh, But then there were others like they were really good about and full credit to them. But they were trying to like combine like what is Connecticut known for? What is Rhode Island known for? So they came up with Oak and Anchor because like the nutmeg state, like oaks and trees and stuff like that. And of course, anchors with with Rhode Island. So like I started piggybacking off of that. I was like, oh, it's the it's the Oak and Anchor Rancor. Because if you if you don't know what the definition of Rancor is, like go look it up but it's like it's like having like a distrustful disgust you know and like and hatred of something so like it's a perfect name and it rhymes but again i'm not trying to like 
name the derby i just throw in my stuff out there right? i I'm, i like to i like to contribute too but like the idea that one club or or another or one supporter group or another think that it's theirs to name like i that that wasn't the spirit of this and i don't think that's why i started asking the question in the first place of the front office so i hope it does come naturally but i do want to ask did you have any were you excited when you saw any of the names none of them are um calling out to me just yet i mean the oak and anchor ranker is kind of kind of kind of funny um at the end of the day it's all going to matter what sticks um it's not one supporters group or one group of fans kind of choice it's going to you know what spreads and what what are people come back to say so you don't have a choice of one yet you played that very you played that very uh even keel there it's got to come naturally nothing is really calling out to me it's too early i think in this um in this regard to name something like for that hasn't even happened yet we could just call it like the fix our bridge derby you know loser <laughs> has to repair the other person the other state's bridges does connecticut have bridge problems too you know you know they do your car got beat up when you drove across it one time you should hate connecticut bridges more than anybody yeah that was that stupid rock (laughs) in my windshield they put it there a hartford fan put it there how dare they (laughs) all right well um either way i i know that as long as it comes organically uh it shouldn't be an issue but uh i just i'm afraid of like the likes of Matt Doyle or Devin Kerr or Tom Bogert, you know, announcing like, oh, I heard this was it. And then that just sticking. So I'm hoping that there's more influence or less influence from people that could kind of sway the decision. And this really does come up organically, but we'll, we'll have to, we'll have to find out. So do we have, we have a couple of events. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take this one over because you've got a, you've got a fun new edition coming here in the last minute. Um, but we do have, uh, starting on this, this weekend, we have the Rhode Island FC will be attending the Rhode Island Brewfest at the Waterfire Arts Center. So if you love Rhode Island FC, if you love beer, um, combine those two loves together and go have a, uh, have a brew, uh, with the club at that, uh, at that event. And then, um, the Defiance 1636, they've announced that they will be having a meetup that will be open for the public. It's not just for the supporters group itself. Um, but they're looking to plan something in early March at a location that remains TBD um, so that people can come and kind of get to know the fans, get to know the supporters group, see if they're interested in joining the supporters group, uh, just connect again as we get super close to that first game. So there, you know, that'll be something to look forward to and we'll announce uh, that in the near coming future. And then we're still working uh, on understanding if the Bermuda Federation is going to uh, release a preseason broadcast uh for the game that will happen the two games that will happen in bermuda so we've been in we've been in contact with their communications group things are moving uh, along nicely to understand that they're still trying to figure that out themselves uh and then as soon as they confirm that with us we'll we'll break that probably in social medias we won't wait for the podcast um because if that's something you guys want to plan that's coming up just in a few weeks here and that'll be something that everyone needs to coordinate to be able to show up somewhere and, and watch the game so more to come in that space uh, do we have any questions? Dave here uh, wants to know, uh, recent photos have showed a few player numbers. Do we know the rest? Yeah, uh, so the answer is no. Uh, <laughs> we did. <laughs> I, I think I think they're alluding to the, the hype video, the, the super rad hype video 
uh, where it showed some of the the lockers in the in the training area where Koke, we, we know Koke, you know, that's your number one. Uh, and then it had Williams as the number nine. And that was some of the interesting controversy where it's like with Deke was signing, who's the, who's the true number nine? You don't have to have the nine to play the position. That's yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it is just a number. <laughs> right. Right. So he's already the nine. So we'll, we'll look forward to seeing what, what uh, Chico ends up with. But then it also showed um, Prince Sadie as the number seven, uh, Mark Doyle as the number 14 and, and Joe Quizera as the number 17. We don't know the rest. We have a we have a um, we have a feeler out for the rest of those numbers. When when I was at practice, I did ask because they all had training kits with numbers attached, and those numbers that you see on, um, that you saw in the photo, those were also what they were wearing. So I may go back through some of the photo reviews and see like what those numbers were. We may be able to unpack some more. I, I could just wait for the communications director to provide that as well. But yeah, we don't have the finalized for the rest. So for those of you like waiting and itching to like secure the number of the jersey you want, uh, a little bit you have to wait a little bit longer on that one. What I will say though is based upon the numbers we have here already, um, players seem to be sticking to traditional numbers for their roles. So I imagine anyone who's watched quite a bit of soccer, they can probably suss out about what the other players are going to be. Number 11 is also a second striker. So, you know, I'm just guessing Dequil might pick that number. He could pick another one, but that's a potential he might use. 11 also sometimes used by wingers. It's definitely, it's an attacking number. Do you think we'll have a 10 knowing that I haven't seen anyone kind of show up as like a quote unquote cam? We could. Someone maybe who has the confidence to say, yeah, I'm the 10 here. But um, like there's no standout player in the current squad that I would list as a 10. Okay. Well, there you go. We'll, we'll have to unpack that some more. What are the questions that we have? All right. And uh, Craig wants to know here if we have gotten any updates on the road kits. Oh yeah. The delay. So um, the, I think it was announced by the, the distributor that they would start releasing uh, the second to third week of February. So they'd be available and show up as long as the post office doesn't destroy them that they would start showing up in uh, the last week of February to first week of March. What is interesting is, uh, and we've, we've experienced this because we bought some additional stuff in tandem with the kits. The rest of our order is waiting for those kits to go out. So one, I don't know if that's exclusive to us or if we've lost more merchandise and we just need to change addresses for, uh, for listeners. There's also an issue. I don't know if we talked about this on the last episode but a fan asked to send us something, so we sent our address to them. The post office rejected it for them and sent it back to the fan. So Kevin from New Mexico, terribly sorry about that whole situation. Let us know in in, uh, in DMs. We'll we'll make sure that we pay for that um, for that reimbursement for your shipping because that's that's a terrible story. I don't know. Maybe there's just like this area where we're at is just a no mail zone. In fact, I didn't. Did you see any mail in my front door when you came when you came over? Uh, I didn't look. I I assume the road kits were just stuck on 195 somewhere, like everyone else. <laughs> can't, they can't get across that bridge right now. Um, yeah. So, listeners, if you've already gotten anything that you purchased in tandem or in addition to your road kits, uh, let us know because that means we're missing quite a few things that we ordered for for friends and for family. So Oops. that's a really good that's a really good call. We'll have to circle back with the club. They're gonna eventually not believe us anymore. 
at all especially when i try to secure those uh puffer capelli jackets for us and they go those were a lot of money you did not lose those like i don't know what to tell you they're like you guys just have a closet full of stuff don't you (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah so but great question craig we'll uh we'll find out more but right now tentatively it's it's last week of february first week of march so just in time for that um for that home opener and then uh we had some late breaking news that we added to the the end of the podcast here so I'm I'm done doing the the pitches for the club. You get to yeah. finally do one. <laughs> so uh what maybe 30 minutes before we started recording an email went out. Um RFC is setting up a kids club. Signing up will get them a gift pack containing exclusive branded drawstring backpack, exclusive stickers, exclusive lanyard, and a special item when signing up for presale link for the home opener. Uh, as well as special events. They'll have on-field parade of Kids Club members, specifically designated home match with a special shout-out to the stadium video board with each member's name, as well as Kids Club member-only post-game meet-and-greet with RFC players, special deals, and automatic entry into monthly raffles for RFC swag or experiences, a $10 birthday gift card that can be used towards RFC merchandise, purchase in 2024 eligible for kids 12 and younger that's really cool like i i mean i know that's like a promotional thing and we didn't have to read that out but like i can't remember one i I mean i wasn't a kid when i was a fan of these other clubs but i don't i don't know that a club does do clubs normally go that far out of their way to bring kids into the mix and get them excited about soccer that i don't know i don't have a lot of experience looking into things like that do you think I can pass off one of my dogs as my son so I can sign him up for this? I can get these things. It says kids. It does not say dog kids. So sign up now before they have to change the disclaimer <laughs> and you've got them over a barrel. So just do it now. Sign up all of your kids because technically all of your dog children are under the age of 12. So yeah, I think my dog is is just about at the... She'll, she'll be disqualified in like three months. So I, I won't even bother. But we can live vicariously through your dog children. I'm I'm down. I'm down. I just think it's really great. It's going to be a great opportunity for them to meet the players, uh, get those opportunities to see other exciting things on the on the club itself. So that's a really great program. Super proud of the club to uh, to be doing that for the kids. So if you haven't done it yet, and if you don't, if you didn't get the email, but you listen to the podcast and you need help finding this as a resource, and I think they posted it already as well. That might have happened while we were recording. But if for any reason you don't have that information, reach out to us and and we'll get you what you need to sign your kids up. Yeah, it's awesome they're doing it. Those kind of experiences are what help develop like lifelong fans of clubs. Got to get them young, 100%. Yep. So, all right. Well, before we wrap things up, uh, just a couple of show uh, housekeeping notes. We'll have some additional information we can unpack from some recent meetings uh, that Defiance had, as well as uh, some other meetings around the community that the club's been having. So look forward to that um, on the week uh, on the podcast to come next week. And then we're actually going on the road ourselves. Uh, we'll be doing some guest appearances on some other podcasts, some USL, some not, uh, and maybe some bigger mainstream um, productions as well. So spoiler alerts there. But uh, we'll, we'll keep you guys posted when and, and how we show up for those guest experiences. And then uh, just kind of because ha- we haven't done it in a long time, but uh, wanted to thank everyone who's rated and subscribed to the podcast. Uh, looked over those numbers recently in terms of the ratings piece. And like we outshine a lot of 
I don't want to say our competition, but a lot of the other people in the space, both from a local Rhode Island perspective, uh, a local sports perspective, and a local uh, and the USL level perspective as well. So thanks for the love and dedication. We want to continue to just to strive to give you guys an excellent podcast. So if you haven't rated us yet, uh, don't know what you're waiting for, go ahead and go do that now. Just take a minute and uh, and give us some love. And if there's something you guys want to give us feedback on, we have that form available on the website. Uh, you can also leave suggestions, questions, or any kind of comments, and you can donate too. All right, it's time to wrap this one up. Uh, you can catch us on Twitter, Threads, and TikTok at RFC Podcast. We have an Instagram at Raising Anchor, and there's that website, www.raisingancorpodcast.com. Anchors up, buddy. Anchors up, buddy. <laughs>